Welcome to Garden DC, the podcast about everything gardening in the Washington DC and Mid-Atlantic region. I'm your host, Kathy Gents. I'm the editor of Washington Gardener Magazine, and we're aimed at gardening enthusiasts, people who grow everything from edibles to ornamentals, natives to exotics. If it grows in our area, that's what we talk about. This week on the Garden DC podcast, we're joined by Katie Dubow. She is president of the Garden Media Group. Welcome, Katie. Hey, Kathy. It's so great to be here. Great to have you on, Katie. And we've known each other for, I want to say, well over a decade. Yes. I just celebrated 10 years at Garden Media Group in my second iteration. Of course, I have interned there and I started there when I was six licking envelopes for my mom, but um, it must be because that's when I I know I've known you even probably longer than that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And speaking of licking envelopes, that was a long time ago, right? When we we didn't have self-stick envelopes or your mom was just like, let me give her a little bit of busy work so she feels like she's of use. Exactly. Were you happy to help your mom when you were little? Yeah, you know, I I loved, she had an office in our home, which now look at us, we're, we're around to that again, but she had an office in the home. And so I had access, you know, to reams of colored paper and hole punches and, you know, copiers and printers. And I had the best school reports of any other child. Um, But, you know, in terms of helping her, I don't know if I really understood until we get older, the full extent of what our parents do. And it it helped me. Certainly, she likes to tell the story that she would say, I'm going to pay you a dollar an hour to lick these envelopes. You keep set, you know, 75 cents and you pay your friend 25 cents. So she was teaching me lessons along the way that I don't think I even realized until much later. Wow. That was great to grow up in business. And your mom, Susie McCoy, literally started it. And that was 33, 34 years ago now. That's right. And what, what made her start Garden Media Group? What, what, uh, niche did she think that was going to fill in the industry? Yeah. So she actually started the company Impact Marketing that 35 years ago. And then she was working. We live here in Kennett Square, which is the mushroom, Pennsylvania. And that's, we are the mushroom capital of the world. Kathy, I'm sure you know that. Um, but it's a, it's a fun fact. We have a ton of mushroom houses here and, you know, it's not like our growing conditions are different. Mushrooms, they're all grown indoors, but it also has a distinct odor here in Kennett Square. Mm-hmm. But she, ha- the mushroom farm was one of her clients because they did have a bit of a reputation between the stench and then some employee relations. So she worked with the mushroom growers. And the Connor Pyle company, who famously bred the knockout rose and many other beautiful roses, saw the work that she had done contacted her because they were launching this little rose that didn't have a name yet, which became knockout. And she met the industry and she calls it coming from the dark to the light because of the mushroom reference. And she just fell in love with the industry. She sat on the phone with the editor of Better Homes and Gardens for an hour, Elvin McDonald talking about gardening, how to like how the industry worked, breeders, growers, garden centers, how how complicated it all is. And people really helped her and held her hand. And she realized 
that this truly was an industry of very kind and and sharing and caring people. And so she stuck with it. You know, it was not something that she had a background in journalism and she, you know, has of course learned so much about gardening over the years, but it was not, um, it's not where she started and thought she would end up, but look at, look at where we are now. Yeah. And that's what I was going to ask you next is it didn't start from gardening to PR, but kind of went from PR to gardening, but for your life, you grew up with both. So were you a green thumb as a child too? Were you helping your mom with those trial plants and sample plants in the garden? Absolutely. And she was, even though she didn't have a degree in, in horticulture, we had a huge vegetable garden from when I was a baby and and she was really into plants. And so I definitely got that from her. And my dad was a biology teacher. And so we had loads of animals. So we had plants and animals all over the house, indoors and out. Um, so I definitely grew up getting my hands dirty. And that was something I, you know, I took with me. I was a sports broadcasting major, you know, you know, you don't, you never know what's going to happen, but it, um, it has certainly helped, you know, the, the type of fast paced sports management and then into gardening, which now is, you know, probably cooler than sports. Yeah. It's the number one sport in the country. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. And before we get off of Kennett Square, PA, we have to tell people it's not just stinky. Uh, It is the home of Longwood Gardens, which we've (laughs) talked about before on this show, and we love Longwood Gardens, so definitely go and visit for that. And is the stink from the mushroom growing year-round, or is it just a seasonal thing? It's seasonal, and particularly on those hot, humid days. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I can imagine that. But it's probably a good like earthy smell. You know, I don't even I don't even notice it anymore. Mm-hmm. My husband's from upstate New York and when he moved here, I said, "You'll get used to it." He said, "I don't think I'll ever get used to the smell of you can guess manure." Mm-hmm. You know, so but you get used to it. Mm-hmm. And it's so good for our gardens though. Exactly. And so from that industry, she got many more clients and then you were working in the business and became officially the president of it a little over a year ago. Yeah, that's right. In January of 2020 was when she officially retired. Well, December 31st. Mm-hmm. Um, and who would have thunk what it was going to come in 2020, but that's right. So I have now been president for a full two years. And in that time, since it's been obviously COVID and other impacts on society, um, there's been so many changes. And one of the main things that Garden Media Group does is put out an annual trends report for the industry. And so we'll talk about some of those changes that came because of COVID and the pros and cons of that. How long has the um, annual report on trends been going? And Tell me a little bit about the background of it. How do you put that together? How long does it take to to come up with those trends? and, And what do you base those on? Sure. So we have been publishing it since 2001. So this is our 21st report. The report is 2022. So it looks at next year. And we, um, it's interesting, the quick backstory about where, why she started doing it. Actually, the Philadelphia Flower Show was a client of hers in 2001. And they were talking about promotion for the following year. And she said, well, how do you even come up with the themes? Is it based on trends? And she said, everyone looked at her like trends. Why would we look at trends? 
And she said, oh, we are doing a trends report this year. And the theme of the flower show that year was France. Um, Connor Pyle had a, a Mayon, the House of Mayon Roses. And so the whole trends report had a French theme spin to it. So the, the report was born and nobody else was doing anything on garden trends at that time. So... We, uh, you know, and we've done it every year and they have evolved a lot, Kathy, you know, I, from a, a very simple word document now to a full PowerPoint presentation, it's a downloadable free presentation. You can access it gardenmediagroup.com backslash trends. So you can even access the past trends reports on our website. You can look back all the way to 2001. And one of our trade editors, Brian Sparks, he did that. He looked back and he wrote a whole fun report on what we accurately predicted, how far in advance we did it, and then some we missed. Kathy, I have to be honest, we did not predict the fairy gardening trend. We saw it coming, didn't think it would stick, so we didn't predict it. We left that one out. Well... It's still around. I know. Yeah, not, not as big as it was, but yeah, no. definitely miniature gardening. It was kind of on the down low and it snuck yeah. in there. But yeah, that was, a, that was one that started from grassroots rather than from the industry pushing it out. Right. So maybe we can talk about some of those differences and trends. That, For sure. Um, where you get your sources from them. So are you doing like social media surveys? Are you asking individual gardeners their opinions? Yeah. Uh, how all, are you gathering that? All of the above. So we basically start, I mean, we our trends report comes out to the industry in July and then consumers in September. And we start basically as soon as we wrap up compiling information for the following year. So we interview lots and lots of people, you know, some of our favorite garden designers, our clients, major players in the industry, growers, you know, what are they seeing? But we also look outside of the industry because even though gardening is the hottest it has been maybe ever, um, you know, we've not always been the trendiest of industries. So we like to look outside of our industry. We look at fashion. We look at Europe. We look and see what's happening in other countries and other parts of the world. We look in um, home interiors and really just looking outside of the industry and food to see what is going to be relevant to our industry. Because a lot of things do happen outside of gardening, but then they trickle down to, to where we are. And so that's really how we do it. We do a lot of research and we do do social media trends. We love to look at social media, but you know, social media is so fleeting. So it's very much in the moment. And so we, we like to look at that for a lot of our reporting, but oftentimes for trends, it doesn't help us as much, Kathy, because it's, it is just, it changes so incredibly fast that, um, you know, it's, it seems to still be that human touch is what makes the report so special. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I can imagine that, you know, one day somebody is talking about some celebrity and their succulent garden, and that's maybe 12 hours of that right. on Twitter. Yeah. And then that goes away, but it forms this big blip that might have an undercurrent later on. So you were talking about the fashion industry, which obviously influences the home decor, which influences garden and landscape design. So that brings up today's announcement from Pantone of our new color of the year for 2022. Yes, I know. I was so excited. It's mm -hmm. um, something that I look forward to. You know, color is fun. And I always say with trends, whenever I give a talk or I'm talking about it, that we should just acknowledge they are fun. We don't expect everyone to go out and 
change their entire color scheme, throw out all of their accessories, you know, whatever it is. It's just fun. And so Pantone has sometimes, they usually, this this time of year is when they come out with their color. So we've long predicted our color of the year. And a couple times we've been on the same page. Uh, this year they picked what they call it, very Perry. Mm-hmm. So, or blurple, as I've heard people call it too, um, like a periwinkle blue. It's beautiful. And it goes so well with the color of the year that we predicted, which was green. And lo and behold, I'm sure you've seen so many other people got on the green bandwagon this year. Mm-hmm. It was Bayer and Sherwin-Williams and Benjamin Moore and every PP&G. Like, so it almost became, it was a meme. I saw countless memes about the color green and how many people picked it. Um, And so I I was excited and I was kind of wondering, you know, would Pantone go in the same direction? Were they able to change the last minute? It was really Mm -hmm. interesting. So I think it's a beautiful color and it goes so well with green. So I'm I'm good with it. I agree. I love that very, Perry. I was looking at pinterest and instagram this morning at people's reactions to the color mm-hmm. and some people it's it's a love hate thing i was surprised mm-hmm. i thought that all the floral industry and hort people would love it but many of them were like i was hoping for a deep yellow or again a, mm-hmm. maybe a chartreuse green or something like that but no i think it's beautiful me too yeah and so that will you know trickle down into some of the flower colors we see in bouquets and some of the ways people will be decorating their gardens it's not like again we're going to rip out our entire annual flowers and switch right. over to all periwinkle exactly. that would yep. be silly but yeah you can always pull in touches and influences from that um, so one of the gardening trends that you are predicting for 2022 is kind of a fast flower trend can we talk mm. about that for a minute mm-hmm. and i think you called it on-demand flowers. Can you talk about what that means? Yes. So we typically don't, you know, cut flowers is a, a segment of horticulture, of course, but it's not something we talk about often. But we couldn't ignore it this year because people... You know, whether it be a pandemic personal pleasure, people are just giving themselves flowers throughout the entire pandemic or a signal of that elevated lifestyle, cut flower bouquet sales were booming. They were showing the same signs of growth that, you know, garden in-ground gardening sales or container garden sales. And so it also for us was that idea of giving and receiving flowers. And the more we thought about that, the more we thought about how good it made us feel. We all know the benefits of plants. You know, you and I know the benefits of plants, but Mm -hmm. I think that people really over these past two years got up close and personal and, and not just with the benefits of digging in the dirt and being in nature, but just even having those flowers in our home and how much joy that brought people. So our on-demand flowers trend really refers to the fact that it's whenever you want it, however you want to get it in your home, it will be available and it will be there for you. And you know, what a, what a great way, another gateway. We talk a lot, a lot of, a lot of gateways into the gardening hobby. And we really feel like that cut flower is a gateway because we heard from many garden centers who said if they had a flower truck show up, you know, a lot of garden centers maybe aren't able to have a cut flower department. It's a big, it's, it's a big undertaking. Mm-hmm. 
And one of the suggestions we made was, listen, it's a big deal. Cut flowers are here and they're here to stay. So maybe you you bring in a cut flower truck, a local flower farmer who can, you know, you and I both love Deborah Prinzing who runs Slow Flowers. Find one of her members and invite them to your garden center and have them put up their, their truck and they can sell flowers out of their truck. And the garden centers who did that over the past year, what they found was the people would buy flowers, you know, week after week they would come in, but eventually they would say, what are these flowers in my bouquet? You know, these dahlias, let's say, that you're one of the hottest cut flowers of the year. How can I grow these in my own garden? So it really became this entree for people. And, oh, these aren't just something nice to have in my home, but I can have them outdoors and cut them myself to enjoy them indoors as well. Yeah, that's such a great point, Katie, that they are the gateway drug, as as you say, to uh, a lot of gardeners. And even myself, looking back at when I really went crazy gardening and really went, you know, whole hog and changed my whole life to be around gardening was because I was buying cut flower bouquets at the farmer's markets each week. And How I was like, I can grow these. Yes. <laughs> so I was like, I, I need to grow my own. I, I'm like, I, I have a habit that I need to start really expanding on yeah and building on top of that we were just talking to uh louisa zimmerman at a previous episode of garden dc on houseplant basics and she was saying that flowering houseplants in particular are becoming really big and that's a trend she's seeing that not just the foliage houseplants but ones that have their own flowers and those on houseplants usually last for several months so it's almost like a living bouquet that is so cool. Yeah, I think um, people are trying to up their game with houseplants too. You know, the foliage is great and maybe some of them are certainly, you know, our snake plants. We've got easy plants to care for. When you talk about getting a flower inside, it's a little bit more complicated, but I think people are up to the challenge. Mm-hmm. And especially right now with all the holiday plants from yes. you know, cyclamen to amaryllis, there's so many flowering holiday plants that you can enjoy. And, yes. you know, and what can be easier really than Christmas cactus? Right. Thanksgiving <laughs> cactus. That's like basically Sansevieria level mm. plant, you know, kind of set it and forget it. And it yes. blooms for you uh, with pretty much you doing nothing. So that's exactly. a great uh, entryway plant as well. So going on to the next garden trend I was looking at that I was fascinated by is you called it wild curation. Um, so that was really interesting about the rare and wild plants out there. So, so this is this is actually one of my favorite. And I know you shouldn't pick favorites. They're like mm-hmm. children. But this trend was one of my favorites. And this actually came to us from Mount Cuba, which is a garden here in, in close by. It's in Delaware. Um, people will regularly send us trends as well as part of our research. You know, people just throughout the year send us ideas. And this was one that we got turned out onto research from Amy Highland, who works there. And she partnered with a few people to put together this this study where it actually increased the extinction events. Previously, we thought that there were 20 plants that were extinct, but new research shows that actually one or in North America, one in five of the world's plants, 4,400 in the U.S. are at risk of extinction. And so it's a pretty big deal. You know, a lot of our endangered species, you know, our animal species get a lot of play, I feel like, mm-hmm. when they become extinct or endangered. But I don't think our plants get enough of of 
press. And so we really wanted to bring this research to light and show people that there are there are plants that are being, for so many reasons, whether it be an invasive species taking over that area and choking them out, um, you know, development, drought, you know, climate issues. So there's a lot of reasons why these plants have gone extinct. But there are conservation efforts that can be done. And so I think as an industry, you know, this green industry, it's really important that we lead this mantle in not just educating people about these plants, but growing them. And it is, it's so fun. So if, if you read the report, you saw that there is a garden, the, the botanical garden in Mexico, so they, you know, there are extinct plants all over the world. The Botanical Garden in Mexico actually has an adoption program. And so these are the kind of people who are like the rare houseplant collectors who who love houseplants. This is not maybe a program for everybody, mm-hmm. but they got people to adopt some of these rare or endangered or even some of the plants that had gone extinct that they were able to bring back. They got they got adoptive parents who received a certificate of adoption. They had to sign a waiver that said they would report back. They would send pictures to the, the botanical garden about the progress of growing them. And um, they became the adoptive parents of these, these plants, that these Mexican plants, these native Mexican plants that were at risk of extinction. And so what greater responsibility, you know, the term plant parent here, just really, there's an emphasis on that because the people took their roles very seriously and the program was a huge success. So why can't we do something like that here in the States? Yeah. I mean, almost literally a plant parent. Yes. You could say a foster parent, like take care of it, you know, for the interim until it multiplies and then, and then spread pieces around either plant swap or a seed exchange or collecting it. Yeah. I know there's so many uh, plants that I see at the U S botanic garden that are no longer in nature Mm -hmm. or in wild. They're only in plant collections at this point. So that's a great trend that I'd love to see more, more and more involvement on and, uh, and you mentioned of course that it's kind of under the radar because you know cute pandas and siberian tigers right. which i love too Mia. They're, they're furry and they have eyeballs that look you right in the eye and plants don't have you know unless you stick googly eyes on them they can't look <laughs> you can't look you in the eye and give you that little sad puppy dog expression in the ad so there's a you know a degree of plant blindness that people just aren't aware yeah. that things can go extinct that in that realm of the living world as well yeah yeah So I was going to move on to another trend that I thought was great because it's something that I've always been doing and and it's called living television. And that's because I'm a cat mom. And so I have outside my living room window set up suet feeders and and places for my cats to sit on the windowsill and enjoy that outside world from inside. That is so fun. I have seen some of those really neat feeders you can just um, suction cup to your window. So this is exactly, I mean, our cats, like you said, have long known that this is the best hobby. Um, And many people, uh, you know, people loved birding before the pandemic. But I think that whether it was a hobby, maybe you picked up during the pandemic or you reinvigorated it. Uh, My mom was a big birder, but it was something she did even more of because you're, you're able to be in nature. You're able to be outside. You're able to do something maybe with people, but 
separate. So it's it's really a wonderful hobby that has enabled people to discover new things and be in nature. And man, did it boom. So we talked to both the Cornell Lab of Ornithology and Audubon to see, you know, we're seeing it in the garden centers. We're seeing the sales booming and, you know, feeders, binoculars, um, bird seed. So what are they seeing? And they ha- they saw the same thing, that visits to their website, to all of their bird apps, more than doubled throughout the pandemic. And, you know, funnily enough, after the trend report came out in July, in in August, I was on vacation with extended family. And there was my 11-year-old nephew laying on the beach, looking at a book. And I look at that book. I said, "What, what is that, Zachary? He said, oh, it's the birds of Martha's Vineyard. We're going birding tomorrow morning. So he's a Brooklynite. He lives in Brooklyn, New York. But, and he goes birding in Park Slope park every Saturday morning with his mom. So it is a hobby that was fun and perfect for all ages and all levels. Wow. I, I had no idea it was reaching the elementary school set. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, you think of it as kind of, again, senior retirement thing. You'll start putting together your, your bird list of a lifetime. Right. But yeah. No time like the present to start for birding and especially when you're inside and being able to watch them from from the comfort of your home. If you live in an apartment building, you can obviously go to local public gardens and parks and, uh, you know, ask for feeders to be put out around where you work as well. Yeah. And the cool thing about this trend, Kathy, is is very similar to our our flower, on-demand flowers trend, is that, you know, I have to note that it also spurred more of an interest in the the plants that feed our birds. So native plants have been long on our trends list. You know, gardening for pollinators isn't really, you can't even really call it a trend anymore. Once um, Cheerios takes the bee off their box, you know that has reached mainstream. So people get the whole pollinator trend, but I really think that native plants still have a bit of a ways to go. And and what we saw with this trend is that our fascination with birds grew our interest in plants. So really exciting that people started to understand the more native plants they put in their backyard, the more they were able to feed their birds, especially across, as you and I know, all four seasons, how incredibly important it is to provide, you know, not just have a bird feeder out or a bird bath, but places for them to raise their young, habitat, shelter. So other things that plants can do that perhaps, you know, bird feeder is not going to solve. Mm-hmm. And all the ways we can support birds in our gardens and have more of them. And so I was going to turn our conversation a bit to general trends in society. Yes. So you talk about the Great Reset. And we've talked all through COVID about pivoting. And so those are terms that we hadn't used too much in the past. Let's explore <laughs> that a little bit. Yeah. So actually, the the title of our report in 2021, so this year's trends report that came out last year was called The Great Reset. And I've loved to see the term The Great Resignation float around too, because it really is the whole point of that what what we all experienced was a big halt. You know, one one graphic I saw was the control alt delete. Your computer screen just goes black. And, you know, we did a control alt delete on our lives. And when we restarted, did, you know, we, lots of us changed behaviors that, you know, we were continuing that we maybe 
were burning us out or whatever it was. And so this year's theme was called crisis to innovation because we all did have, you know, experienced some sort of crisis. Uh, and, and this year, the, the following year, 2022, what we are seeing is more innovation than ever. So people took that great reset to heart and they decided, you know what? I'm sitting at a desk all day. I don't want to do that anymore. I've wanted to follow my passion for the last decade and open up a plant shop, but I haven't been able to because I'm scared of X, Y, and Z. And so LinkedIn actually did a survey and they said two thirds of people during the pandemic said they either quit their job or they wanted to quit their job. So I know that's a huge number that wanted to quit their job, I think is the outlier there, but Mm -hmm. people wanted to make changes and great for us because, you know, most of those changes were that they, they wanted to be more in nature. They wanted to be outside. And a lot of people came into the green industry and started jobs within the green industry, landscaping and garden design and floral design, so many things that people were maybe afraid to do before. And this innovation period that I think that we are in right now is is going to last longer than 2022, but it's really fun to watch and watch people explore their hobbies, their passions, and you know be successful at it. Definitely. And it's, you know, it feels like a rising tide floats all boats, that the more people are coming into horticulture and related industries, the better it's doing and the more it gets out there. It's not like there's a limited amount of slots. You know, we could always have more flowers, always have more produce. And there are so many jobs that are sitting open that I know about in local public gardens and horticulture that they're just there's just such a shortage of people getting horticulture degrees. So it's not that you even have to have that degree, but if you have the experience, you can probably get your foot in the door. 100%. There is room for everybody. So I I love that you say that because I do, it kind of goes back to where we started the conversation where everybody helped my mom when she decided to enter the industry. She was faced with a lot of helping hands, Mm -hmm. people that would guide her and not look at her as much as a competitor, but as, you know, let me see how I could help you. And that really is what this industry is full of, of people who are willing to guide and advise and help you along the way, because I do think that they're, that, that this is an industry that, that we really want to support each other. And the more plants we can grow, the more people will buy them, the more, you know, the, the good word of gardening spreads. So true. And that does bring up, Katie, that both you and I are on the boards of several organizations that support horticulture as a profession yes. or our industry uh um, run publications or are for people who work in the industry. So maybe let's talk about some of those that you're involved with. Sure. Well, I am the chair of our Pennsylvania Landscape and Nursery Association board, um, and that's PLNA. And every state has one. Your state has a great one that puts on a show called Mance, MNLA puts on Mance. And, um, you know, these are organizations that support the industry. You know, ours is an association that supports people who are in our state, but you know, it's, it's the whole entire, I just went to a a conference of a number of other associations and we're all, every, everybody is dealing with the same things, you know, labor shortages, as you said, supply issues, um, and just a, a general desire to educate the general public about the benefits of gardening. And I think that's what it comes down to is that, 
you know, every organization has the same mission. We want to, to spread accurate and inspirational knowledge about plants. We want to share our love. And we know there's a lot of bad information out there too. So we want to make sure that people, people get the right information from the right people. Yeah. And a lot of these groups, organizations and associations, they're lobbying on behalf of those small businesses to the state government That's for, right. for better tax breaks, for programs, for education. And so it's great to join and build those numbers up because the more numbers they represent, the more clout they have. Exactly. At that and another thing I was going to say is you don't have to be a professional a lot of the time to join these organizations. You can be a beginner or a student level. So you can look on their join pages and there might be a first year or student or internship level that you can join at. That's right. Like another great organization that you and I are both a part of, GardenCom. Um, and I think that it you get access to, especially as a beginner. I think as a beginner, you are looking for resources and mentors. And what a great place to go you know, join the organization, join the Facebook group that they have. If they have a meetup, go to the meetup because you will meet people who have been in the industry, maybe like you as beginners, but also 20, 30, 40 years who would love to have their brain picked. Mm -hmm. And there's always mentor programs and matching programs and, and all that sort of thing in these organizations. Yeah. So you need to take advantage. I always say that you get in you get out what you put in. That's right. Um, so, you know, volunteer for committees, you know, write some articles for their newsletters and you'll soon start to know everybody because everybody starts off like, I don't know anybody yeah. and I'm standing at the cocktail party or in the zoom room and nobody's talking to me. So right. definitely, you know, plunge in with both feet and get started on a committee or volunteering and, and that will get you right in there. Definitely. Great advice. Um, so another trend that's kind of related to that is the creator class and the innovators in the green economy that are really coming up from, I would say, grassroots or, you know, they might have been a school teacher. They might have had a second career doing something else. And now they're like, now it's my time, as you said, per to pursue that passion. Yeah, we are seeing this. Um, we're, you know, the term is a micro business. A lot of them are small business owners. And Etsy, I mean, I don't know if anybody had stock in Etsy last year, but whoo, did you make a lot of money? I did not miss that boat. But, you know, it is that place. Like, it's the perfect place for these creators. And the interesting thing is that now we're seeing Instagram has created an entire division for what they call creators. So TikTok, the same thing. So it's, it's, it's now these major corporations are realizing that this is a whole group of new group of people. They're not, they're business owners, but they're probably single. You know, they're probably their only employee at the at current. They also are hugely socially influential. So they've got their business, but then they are on social media, you know, every day posting about their business. Um, and so this creator class is this, they will be our innovators or they are currently the people who are innovating, who are creating new products, new ways to talk about our products, new ways to, um, 
get gardening into the hands of people who might not have thought it was a hobby for them before. So that's really fun for me that, you know, and, and new, new intros, you know, making our industry a little bit more diverse, a little bit younger, more family. So I love to see, you know, like we said, a rising tide rises. What's the expression? Oh, <laughs> Raises all boats. Lifts all boats. Yeah. Lifts all boats. <laughs> you know, it definitely, um, the same thing here goes with these creators introducing new people to our industry. Mm-hmm. I love to see the rise of solopreneurs because that's how I started out. And that's how I yeah. still consider myself is, you know, a one woman business and it's tough in the beginning and you feel alone. So it's great to be able to band together and to yes. see so many others starting up at the same time. Yep. I love that term. Mm-hmm. And another trend that I was looking at that I was like, what does this mean? It needs a little bit more explanation than the title might say is the zoning board. Yes. I was thinking I have my mindset of HOAs and county and state zoning for yes. for expanding homes. And, and and other people have thought I meant like the USDA zone. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of play. We like to play on a lot of words. But in this case, what we really saw was... Uh, you know, everyone is home. You've got the kids home. You've got the parents home. You've got grandparents. You've got your neighbors are also all experiencing the same thing. And so what we needed to do was create areas. Now this happened both indoors, you know, the home office was now the bath was also the bathroom, um, but it's happening outdoors. And so there was an area where the kids could play, but the parent could also do their Zoom meeting quietly. So they're creating these zones or these spaces. And also the important thing about these zones Whereas that everything was was hybrid or had multi functions, and so the furniture could be moved to seat two people comfortably, or maybe a group of six who would be comfortable sitting outside. So things had to be very dynamic. But the big part that we saw here, uh, and and you and I both know, curb appeal has been around forever. But what people were doing, and this is a place where we saw social media help us out in our trends, was the term front yard or front porch zoomed up. Definitely reached a five-year high from as far back as our social media reporting could go. And we look at Google Trends, too. And it was definitely one of the, the peaks was during the pandemic that people were talking about redoing their front porch and putting in big investments. You know, not just doing some window boxes, but rehauling their front porch entirely. And so when we think about plants, we need to think about or, you know, if you sell plants or if you're thinking about doing your front yard, there are a lot of great, there's a lot of great advice out there on different species that work for your front yard, whether because you have an overhang and it, you need a, a drought tolerant species or, you know, it's very shady or it could be wet, you know, whatever your area or your needs, the front porch. And I, you know, you think about it, it's because now we are, are outside more. Our neighbors are walking by our homes more. And so we are able to say hello. We're able to still be social out front without really inviting people into the home, crossing that threshold of our sacred, clean space. And so that front yard, that front porch is now so much more important to us than it ever was before. Yeah, I'm so glad to see this trend coming up now. And it definitely is something that came out of COVID because you're you're walking, you're taking your daily walks, yes. and you're looking at other people's front steps and front yards. And now you're seeing that as more of a community resource and something that you want to beautify for your neighbors and for yourself. Yeah. Whereas 
it used to be in gardening that the front was very perfunctory. It was, you know, neat and trim maybe, but all the good stuff was hidden in the back. Yep. And that would make me crazy, me Katie, too. when I would walk around because I would take, I'm car free and I walk around my neighborhood or go shopping all the time. And I'm always up in people's business in their front yard. And I'm like, what is behind that fence? I know the good stuff is back there. So I'm glad that it's, becoming to be more open and emphasis on the front. And I think that other trend was those front porch portraits that people were doing. Yes. Where uh, the photographer would stand at the end of the sidewalk or down yep. the steps from you. So you wanted to have a much prettier setting for that. And then, th- and then you looked at those photos and you were like, oh, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I could use two containers here and mm-hmm. fluff up those boxwoods that have blight there and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And like the door could use a new coat of paint mm-hmm. type of thing. And yeah. that's in my new book coming out with Terry Spate, where we do talk a lot about setting up your front steps and your front oh. porch, especially if you have small, tiny um, entrance way, like you're mm-hmm. either the downstairs apartment in a row house, that might be your whole garden, yeah. might be down those steps. Um, so I was reading a lot about step gardening, uh, not as in like fostering a garden, right. <laughs> but as, <laughs> as in putting gardens up and down steps, because that could be your only growing space are on yeah. those steps. So that's fun to see that that trend coming in as well. And, and I'm so excited for your book with you and Terry. That is such a great combo. Yes. Um, we're so excited for that to be coming out soon and to be sharing that with the world and getting some of that food and beauty out there. Yeah. So we're so excited about that. And I was going to say, you had mentioned one word when you were talking about zoning, um, which is hybrid. And I thought that was so funny that it is, again, (laughs) kind of a plant word that's getting out there, but used in a different way. So we're talking about hybrid work play spaces and in our home and those different zones, but also your yard is becoming a hybrid uh, work and play space or hobby space as well. That's right. And I mean, continuing on with that, the the idea of now how we live in this hybrid world where ha- we're back to work, are we not back to work? You know, is, are we going to our events? Are we not going to our events? So I think that, like you said earlier, there's a bunch of pivoting and resetting and all these new terms that just seem so now commonplace to us. But before two years ago, they were not something that we really talked about much. Mm-hmm. And then obviously in the plant world, when we talk about a hybrid, we're talking about something completely different, Right. <laughs> but yes. we'll talk about that on another show in depth. Um, so with our last few minutes together, I was going to ask from pulling from your previous year's trends, uh, maybe one that was a favorite of yours that you didn't see go very far that you thought would be a lot bigger than it turned out to be. Great question. The first one that popped in my head, and I'll just go with it, is the whole bedhead gardening idea. And that was the trend when it was, I woke up like this, was going around on social media. It was the idea of that like kind of messy style, but took a lot of work. And um, we thought that gardens, we saw this whole meadow style garden where, you know, and native plants, they, they're not always as English garden style, right? So they're not that front yard garden, how it used to be. And, and that whole concept of the wild and the free. And I really thought the idea of a bedhead garden would take off more. Now, meadow gardening certainly has taken off. Native plant gardening has taken off. But I just loved it. I loved the, the idea of the bedhead. And um, people didn't pick up on it as much. 
Well, I picked on it, Katie. Because <laughs> I will say my garden is definitely one of those messy, you know, gray gardens, very, yes. you know, all over the place because it has to be just because of all the plant samples I get sent. Right. And then, you know, you got to constrain on your time and how much you can do. But it's a onesie twosie type garden where everything is overflowing and stuffed in versus a very curated yeah. Um, just three different plant families and this is all it's going to be type of garden. Right. I never got that. How can you do that? I mean, it looks cool, but man, or like a color palette, how people do very monochromatic color palettes. I think it takes a lot of self-control, Katie. It does. And I just don't have it. I can't go to the garden center and say no. Me neither. (laughs) So how about a trend that you maybe, it, it kind of went under the wire we talked about fairy gardening but maybe another one that you thought was not going to be so big and that became big what are the other well you know one thing that we decided this was a few years ago but the term steampunk Mm. was a big term that was going around and it was very much of the you know kind of robotic and dark and and that was something that we you know a lot of the trends make hit the cutting room floor um kathy they they are, we probably each year come up with 20 trends and some of them we say, well, we talked about that already. And some of them we say, well, how does this really impact the industry? As an example, one of those in 2020, as we were researching was sober curious that at the beginning, you know, dry January was a big thing in January of 2020. And we saw a lot of the food and beverage companies talking about alternatives. So coming out with these fancy mocktails. And so it was going to be one of our top trends. And then the pandemic hit hit, and forget sober curious. People were not curious about sobriety at all. Um, And so that was something that, you know, a lot of our, we have to pivot a lot with our trends and really stay up to date with what's happening, happening currently. And even though we might do months and months of research on a trend, in the long run, if it just doesn't fit in, it doesn't fit in because we do like to have our trends have a general theme. So this year was that crisis to innovation. So each one needed to have some sort of of innovation. And similarly, last year was the Great Reset. And so if they don't really fit in with the theme, if we've talked about them, if the team doesn't, you know, that everyone is not excited about them, they don't make it. So I, I feel like I could do a whole blog post on trends that hit the cutting room floor. That would be great. I'd love to see that one. And those could be like minor things that just caught on in maybe one area of the country and didn't spread elsewhere uh, just because, you know, they couldn't grow the same type plants or it was just one person who was really having a heavy influence or one garden center. Exactly. Um, Sometimes it happens that one designer is really having a lot of influence and then that doesn't spread outside their region. Yep. Yep. So in our last minutes together, let's tell people how to download that report again from you. Yes, please visit gardenmediagroup.com and backslash trends. And that's where you'll find um, this year's, the 2022 trend report, and then all the other 20 reports. You can also find us on Facebook at Garden Media Group or Instagram, Garden Media, and all of those have the links to the report as well. And so before we went started our recording you said you're already working on 2023 yes so maybe can you give us a little crystal ball preview into some of the things you're seeing for that year well you know i wish i could none of them actually are top of mind right now um 
someone sent me an email just yesterday or Monday about plogging. Have you heard about plogging? Mm-hmm. Where you're picking up trash as you yes. jog, as you jog or you walk. Yeah. Yeah. She said, I'm not sure if this is a trend or an April Fool's trend, but <laughs> this is something that I think is going to catch on. Mm-hmm. I put it in my folder. I'm not sure it will go anywhere, but you know, if I, I do love when people send me stuff. So you know, that absolutely, we are always open to ideas. And that's part of the reason we present this report to the industry in July. We love to get people's feedback. What are you seeing out there? What is happening in your backyard? And, um, you know, from, from general consumers to the big growers, we love to get feedback from everybody. And so if somebody saw some trend that they wanted to alert you to, would they just go to the Garden Media Group website or how would they get in touch? They with can you? email me. To, well, we have a... Um, our trends email is trends at gardenmediagroup.com. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that, that will come right to my inbox. Great. Well, thank you so much, Katie. This has been fascinating. And it's always fun to kind of pro- prognosticate, if that's the word. <laughs> yeah. And then also look back and you're like, hmm, maybe that wasn't what we thought it was going to be. But it changed and morphed into something totally different. Exactly. It is a lot of fun. And I so appreciate you having me on and giving me the opportunity to, to share these trends with people. Thank you again, Katie. Bye-bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Acuba plant profile. Spotted laurel, Acuba japonica, is a large evergreen shrub, also known as Japanese laurel and gold leaf plant. This plant is grown for its striking variegated foliage with yellow or white spots or streaks. There's also a plain green kind. This shade loving plant is great for a spot in the back of the border to add some bright foliage interest or as a hedge. It tolerates dry soils and air pollution well. It is easy to propagate new plants from cuttings. It has long-lasting red fruits that appear in the fall that are also attractive. To produce the fruit, you must have male and female plants nearby to each other. Acuba typically grows to 8 feet high and wide. It can be pruned in spring to keep that size in check. There are also dwarf varieties available. It is hardy to zones 7 to 9 and is native to Asia. Acuba can be grown in containers outdoors and also does well as a house plant. Planted in a protected spot out of prevailing winds and direct sun in well-draining soils. This is a low-maintenance, easy-care plant. Acuba, you can grow that. What's new this week? Well, the interns and I went over to the community garden plot and pulled out the last of the annual flowers. 
we took the seeds off of them and packed them up for our upcoming Washington Gardener seed exchanges. So you'll see marigolds and celosia and zinnia that are coming from our garden that we'd like to share with the seed exchange attendees. And speaking of the interns, I wanted to say thank you for all of their efforts. This is their last week with us for the fall 2021 interns. I especially wanted to thank Charlotte Benedetto for all her help with our events and covering local happenings and her book reviews and other articles that she's done for us. Charlotte Crook has helped out with the podcast in editing our interviews. Melena Denena helped do the show notes for this podcast. And Melinda Thompson helped out editing and shooting videos for our YouTube channel. So thank you to all of our interns. And we look forward to our new set of interns coming in starting with us next January. And speaking of winding up things, this is our last Garden DC podcast episode for 2021. We'll be back in the new year with new episodes for you. So enjoy that holiday break. If you are looking for holiday gift ideas for a gardener in, in your life or maybe for yourself, I encourage you to check out our blog, washingtongardener.blogspot.com. Our post on November 26th has several holiday gifts for gardeners, top gardening gift ideas, and so check those out. All of those are things that we use ourselves in the garden and highly recommend. And happy gardening and happy holidays. In the new book, The Urban Garden by Kathy Jensen and Terry Spite, you'll find dozens of inspiring and creative ways to grow flowers, shrubs, vegetables, herbs, and other plants in small spaces and with a limited budget. Whether you want to grow on a balcony, rooftop, front stoop, or a tiny urban patio, turn your growing dreams into reality and build a gorgeous and unique garden that showcases your personal style while still being functional and productive. With the ingenious ideas and resourceful tactics found here, you'll be maximizing yields and beauty from every square inch of your space, while also making Making a lush outdoor living area you'll crave spending time in. The Urban Garden, 101 Ways to Grow Food and Beauty in the City, comes out this spring. You can pre-order it now at Amazon.com and Bookshop.org. Thank you for listening to Garden DC. You can become a listener supporter for as little as 99 cents a month by going to anchor.fm slash garden DC slash support. Another way to support this podcast is to subscribe to our monthly digital publication, Washington Gardener Magazine. To do so, go to washingtongardener.com. Thank you. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. 
Priceline. You can find Washington Gardener online at WashingtonGardener.com, on Twitter at WDC Gardener, on Instagram at WDC Gardener, and on Facebook.com at Washington Gardener Magazine.